You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the LaunchCast. Episode 202. I still got goosebumps. You can't see them, but they're there. It's episode 202, Leadership 101. Teach them how to say goodbye. This is a different episode. A little bit different. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But first, we got to do the usual stuff. It's the Launch Dad himself bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. It's true. It's damn true. Right now, as the beat drops. Into the black hole. What is shaking, everybody? It is George Andriopoulos here bringing you episode 202 of the LaunchCast. We are in season two, and now we're rolling. We did our holiday giving episode, uh, episode 201. That was such a fun episode to do. It felt so good. We made uh, donations through my organization, through my company, Launchpad 516. We donated to uh, the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying and the Nicholas Center uh, as a little surprise for them as we brought them on the episode. And I had my friends, James and Dana Battaglia from Shannon's Fight, two of my closest friends with me throughout the whole episode because we had a special surprise for two nonprofits, uh, the Inn, the Interface New the Interfaith Nutrition Network and my 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 heart, Ronald McDonald House Charities New York Metro, one of one of the closest charities to my heart. Uh, we had a surprise for both of them in episode two hundred one. Um, we made a a large donation from our nonprofit Shannon's Fight Inc. Um, the the organization that was co-founded along with James and Dana that were on episode 201 and a few other folks, Ed and Dawn Catapano, um, who were not on the episode, but we had a really cool surprise for them. So check out that episode if you haven't. It was so much fun to do. And the plan was that was our holiday episode. We were going to do a two-week hiatus into the new year and then jump in with episode 202 going right back to the interviews, which we have coming to you. But few things came up this week, right? Um, one is that we, we have an interview lined up, which would have been episode 202, but I decided that I want to take a quick detour right now since we're only in the second episode of the season. You guys know if you listen to the show that last season we had a bunch of detours. We had a, a ton of interviews as as we normally do about leadership and, and they were incredible insights from unconventional leaders. That's what this thing is about. But we took a few detours last season because I realized that this isn't just an interview show. This show, the launch cast is 
whatever it needs to be in that very moment. And this isn't a shtick. This is not the launch dad talking. This is the man, George Andriopoulos, telling you right now that as a leader, things change, right? We need to shift. We need to, if we have a voice, we need to take a pause and we need to take advantage of that platform and that voice and share our voice with others in order to spread some good, spread some influence, whatever it is that you do out there. And so that happened a bunch of times last season where I just needed to take a breather from the interviews and talk to you guys one-on-one, man-to-man, man-to-woman, man-to-everybody out there, man-to-person. And that proved very cathartic for me as not only the host of this show, but, you know, as a leader that, that does this for a specific reason. I love sharing the insights of the other leaders that join us on this show, but, you know, I also love when we can take a break and talk about what's on my mind. Um, you know, I feel that as a leader, I, I owe it to um, people that look to me for leadership, people that look to me for advice, whether it's one person, 20 people, a thousand people, whatever that number is, if I can affect one life, that's what this thing is about. That's why I do it. Um, and so today is one of those examples. Today we had like the perfect storm of things happening. And I'm going to take a quick sip of water because there's going to be a lot of, a lot of talking today. A lot of talking because I have a lot of things to say. Um, perfect storm, right? Well, I'll tell you the first part of the perfect storm is my goddamn equipment is breaking down on me. I have two audio boards. I have my Rodecaster Pro. I have my, my Soundcraft Notepad 12FX. One is at the office. One's at the home office. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving some stuff around right now because I, I just, finished building this, uh, this basement office here. And, uh, I didn't really want to do too much recording here, but, I, uh, of course I do have to have a setup since I'm currently working from home while the whole family is home during the pandemic. But I planned on doing all the LaunchCast episodes in the office studio. Needless to say that we had some technical hiccups here and my, my, my notepad board is blown out somehow. My roadcaster board is blown out and I'm sort of like halfway recording on it right now. I had to kind of do a little bit of a rig here, Fugazi, to get this working. Um, but we're doing it and and I hope this is recording correctly because I'm gonna be so annoyed if I have to redo this in like an hour. Um, but that that's not gonna happen. Positive vibes, right? That's what we're doing. We're, we're gonna put it out in the universe that this is going to work and we are going to record this. And I'm not going to have to do it twice. But, um, yeah, so that that's the main reason that I couldn't do this in the office. If you're listening to this uh, on the podcast and not watching the video, you're not going to know the difference anyway. So it doesn't matter. But the other perfect storm. Uh, today, recording this right now, today is January 6th. Um, today was the day uh, that, that um, the... Electoral ballots, the electoral votes were going to be certified in D.C. Um, and and there would be a nation moving on um, in, in one direction or another. Uh, of course, most likely moving on to President-elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Now, um, I don't typically do 
political stuff in my business in in uh on my show here on the launchcast um i am active in my community um you know and and, and i save that stuff for uh my private activism uh, i don't need to talk about that out loud um but there have been a few moments you know even last season where i i just as a leader had to stand up and say something um and so, so this is one of those moments, and I'm going to give you some backstory on this. Uh, of course, we we have all probably heard at this point about the um, <laughs> the the events at the Capitol building today, um, rioting, protesting, um, violence. There was a death in the building uh, uh, so, so far that I've read, um, shooting, uh, you know. It was a disaster. It was a mess there. Um, and so I've been working on something that um, I wanted to present in some way, shape, or form. I didn't really have um, a format for what I wanted to do with this. But you know when things just some sometimes they just happen, right? Uh, sometimes things just click for us and, and you kind of know. And when you know... You know, you have to do something in a specific way, and and it just comes to you. And and this was that moment. Um, and so, leading up to the the election in November, um, and 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 I've been, you know, very outspoken uh, about. I don't want to say outspoken. I've been very vocal um, since the last election that. Um, Unity in this country uh, is is the way to progress, right? I, I'm also um, not ignorant. Um, I'm not ignorant to people's feelings or the reality of of where we are as a nation right now. Um, to know that unity is not possible at this very moment, uh, and so leading up to to the uh, election this year that happened, uh, in late 2020, November, 2020, um, started doing a lot of reading. Um, I, I was very interested in the, um, political history of this company. I wanted, uh, of this country, I should say, not company. Uh, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to understand the workings of, of how this country was built. Um, and, and I will say, you know, funny enough, we talk about things happening for a reason and, and perfect storms. Um, Hamilton, right? I finally got a chance this year to watch Hamilton for the first time. Uh, amazing show, by the way. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, you know, and I, I think I've talked about this before on the on the podcast, but I love Hamilton. I know every song. I was just rocking out to it in my car a couple of hours ago. And uh, that show and the lyrics specifically of some of those songs have stuck out to me for so long, right? And what happened was um, there, there was sort of this natural progression as I, uh, as I watched this over and over and, <coughs> excuse me, and I listened to the soundtrack over and over. I, I watched this probably like most of you for the first time on what was it like July 4th or July 5th when Disney Plus released it? 
Um, it was the first chance I got to watch it. I never wanted to listen to the soundtrack until I could actually see the show, which I never had a chance to do on Broadway. But uh, it was this natural progression when I would listen to the music. And it was pretty interesting how one song at a time, uh, you know, I, I, I understood a different aspect of this musical, this, this uh, incredible musical. And, you know, the, the breakdown of each character, uh, of course, the, the, the obvious one being Alexander Hamilton in the show. And then I, I took my time uh, with Aaron Burr and, and analyzing Aaron Burr um, and his place in history and, and in the show. And it was it was pretty cool to gain that understanding and, and see these little Easter eggs uh, all over the show that, you know, whether they're fact or not right like uh, i i think i've read a lot that there have been some liberties taken with the show whatever it's the gist of uh what people were feeling at the time and and based on a book of course uh that lin-manuel miranda read and was inspired to write uh this musical but uh, i'm going in this hamilton vortex right now but uh specifically one of my favorite characters in the show was George Washington. Um, he was just, uh, I mean, obviously the person portraying him, which was Christopher Jackson in the original show, um, you know, he, he took his, his spin on, on George Washington and, and portrayed him as uh, the man that he came out to be on the show. And I, you know, judging by everything I've read about the man and and the passion for the country and uh, and all that, um, I think it was a true characterization of George Washington. Um, you know, I can't say that for sure. I don't think anybody can because you know we don't know the guy, right? But based on his writings and what he's done for this country and and the history behind it, I really started to take notice of Christopher Jackson's. Um, performance right and then particularly the words in some of his songs and and the the honor the patriotism the um the excitement right the excitement in his voice over the birth of this new nation then and You know, I, I, man, I have so much to say about this. I, I'm trying to keep this compact, guys, um, because there's something I want to do at the at the end of this uh, that's going to take a little while and may seem boring to some of you, but I really hope not. Um, the journey that that George Washington took during the Hamilton musical and and you know, in effect, in in reality. Um, was pretty cool because what I got from it was there was this huge layer of patriotism and loyalty to the idea of this nation. That struck me so much because he was the general um, who was working with nothing during the war, right? Uh, the Revolutionary War. He was working with... Uh, in essence, just a band of misfits that 
were were pasted together to make an army against this all powerful massive army that that um that Britain was fighting us with and it was like this ragtag group of misfits that he had to inspire through his leadership to do what they did right um and then the general gets looked to as the figurehead the father the leader of this nation and i don't think based on everything i've read and uh and and, and of course the portrayal in hamilton I don't know if he necessarily wanted that, right? Because um, even after his first term, he tries to step down and he was convinced by Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton to stay on uh, for another term. Um, But it was his love of the country. It was his loyalty to the country that led him to stay on. And then the coolest thing happened. And this is where... There's a, a a song called One More Time in Hamilton. You got to check it out. It is not only an incredible song, um, but man, is it is it relevant today? It is so relevant today. And I, I, guys, I know this is like this whole vortex that I'm going down, but I promise this is this is leading somewhere. Um, I just I need to share all these thoughts. Uh, I need to get all this out in order to really explain this in the right way what what I'm feeling right now which is a lot there's a lot of feelings right now over my country um and so this song one more time basically is about George Washington choosing to step down after his second term now that in itself was just huge right um George Washington, in in effect, could have been the king, quote unquote, king of the United States, if he wanted to be. Um, he had the respect, he had the support um, to do it. Now, would would something like that have happened? Uh, I don't know. If he was a different man, he could have pushed for it. He could have had support for that. Possibly, who knows how things would have gone down. But that's not who he was. Um, he was a constitutionalist. He was loyal to the Constitution of the United States and the idea of this nation that these people wanted to develop that was born out of a nation that was controlled by another nation and a nation that wanted independence, a nation that wanted to experiment with the democratic experiment, have a democratic nation not controlled by a king, controlled by the people, a true democracy. And so this song, One More Time, is about him choosing to step down after his second term to show the people that the machine works, that what they built works. And it's like, I can't show you unless I walk away and let others step into this leadership role just like you allowed me to, right? That That's the gist of what he did and what, what this, this song is about. Um, God, so many poignant lines in this song, so many poignant lines. I can't even like begin to, to list them all. I could do an entire 
episode. I could do an entire series about this one song. Um, you know, the argument between him and Hamilton. Hamilton's trying to convince him to stay. Hamilton's saying that, you know, you could continue to serve. And Washington is saying, no, one last time. And if we get this right, we're going to teach him how to say goodbye. And Hamilton says, the people will say you're weak. And Washington says, no, they will see we're strong. And Hamilton says, your position is so unique. And Washington says, so I'll use it to move them along. If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. Right. And then he goes into this whole philosophical thing about how, you know, he deserves to uh, enjoy the land that he helped to build and and let somebody else step into uh, the leadership role and, and, and so on. But man, when I, when I first like heard the essence of this, I had heard the song probably 10 times already before I really like discovered the essence of the song. And then the coolest thing, right, is that they go into in the end. They go into a, uh, uh, I don't even know, they, they sort of harmonized speaking, um, the, the, the speaking part with one of them speaking, one of them singing it. Um, that starts with, though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will view them with indulgence, and after 45 years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright zeal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to oblivion, as I myself must soon be to the mansions of rest. Now, there's more to that, but the way that they perform that, I knew right away, I'm like, oh, this is something, uh, you know, and the whole the whole musical talks about all these writings that Hamilton has done, um, these papers that he wrote, these essays he wrote. So so I start looking this up, and sure enough, I realize that this is actually a quote from Washington's farewell address, which, of course, Alexander Hamilton uh, penned. I, I don't know exactly how much uh, the, the split was, but... Um, uh, I'm sure it, whether they co-wrote it or, or Hamilton ghost wrote it for him as a speechwriter, um, whatever the case was, it was the work of two brilliant men and really the, the thoughts of George Washington down on paper. And as soon as I realized that this was his farewell address, I'm like, I got to read this. I got to read this thing. And so I picked this up I'm gonna, for those watching the video. Now I'll show this um, on screen. Washington's farewell address, right? So this is about, <coughs> excuse me, this is about, um, well, this is a small copy that I have that shows it at about 65 pages, but this is like a 32 page essay, right? Um, and what was cool about this was, uh, as the farewell address, this actually was delivered to the American people in the pages of a Philadelphia newspaper on September 19th, 1796. This wasn't uh, a speech that he got up in front of people to give. He felt this better would be delivered as an essay that people could sit down and read and, and truly understand. Um, he was the first, he was the nation's first president. He voluntarily stepped down from power and established that two-term tradition, which set a precedent then going forward, um, not only for the two-term 
uh, uh, position, which of course um, became law, but set a precedent with that farewell address for future leaders and for the country in and of itself. I'm telling you, if you haven't read this, you got to check this out. This is one of the best pieces of writing that I have ever read in my life. And it was just so inspiring to read this thing. So, so inspiring. And this has inspired a ton of other people. Um, uh, it's one of the most widely read addresses. Uh, I'll read some facts on it. It quickly became the most famous address in the address in the nation, more widely reprinted than the Declaration of Independence for the first 100 years of our republic. Um, the cool part was that he didn't take a victory lap, right? After his his two terms in presidency, you know, leading the United States of America to victory over Britain, becoming its own country, becoming independent. Um, this farewell address was a warning, right? This document was a warning full of wisdom that inspired and informed not only the people then and the people now, if you read it, um, it informed future presidents, you know, namely uh, Abraham Lincoln, Eisenhower, Reagan, Obama. They've all cited this farewell address and more. Um, Abraham Lincoln, right, during the 1860 presidential campaign, um, he was the the newly formed. Uh, he was the nominee of the newly formed Republican Party, um, and he cited the farewell address repeatedly in one of his speeches, calling out the divisiveness that had led the nation to the brink. Now, of course, Abraham Lincoln, the president during the Civil War, um, he said, "Some of you delight to flaunt in our faces the warning against sectional parties given by Washington in his farewell address. Could Washington himself speak?" Would he cast the blame of that sectionalism upon us who sustain his policy or upon you who repudiate it? We respect that warning of Washington and we commend it to you together with his example, pointing to the right application of it. Um, of course, sectionalism, uh, something that that Washington talked about, warning against sectionalism in, in the United States. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you, if you read this thing, you're going to be like, Shit, was this guy like a, 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 did he have a crystal ball? Could he tell the future what was going on? And the coolest thing is uh, I'm going to, I'm called, I called out Lincoln. I'm going to call out Eisenhower, Reagan. Um, there's so many more. I can't call them all out. But um, during speeches that they referenced Washington's farewell address, you know, like these are all presidents during different times in our country's history. He, very vastly different times, right? And this speech was applicable during those times. Every single time, this speech was applicable. Um, I keep saying speech. This this writing. It wasn't. It wasn't actually a speech. The address. Um, the second most famous farewell address in presidential history was Dwight Eisenhower's uh, wise warning against the rise of the military-industrial complex. Um, <clears throat> and the spark of insight for that speech was relit by White House speechwriter Frederick Fox in a memo um, in 1960. 
Uh, as the time for the president's retirement draws near, I recommend you rereading the farewell address of George Washington. It is a beautifully wise and modest piece by a faithful public servant who loved his country. So he went on to say, I was struck by its relevance to our day, yada, 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 right? Um, check it out for yourselves. I'm not going to go into all these. Ronald Reagan found the inspiration in, in Washington's farewell address from a specific section, the importance of morality and virtue to a self-governing people most often secured through religion. Uh, Reagan's most eloquent eloquent um, referral to the farewell address came during a speech at Moscow State University in 1988. It was a moment loaded with a lot of drama, conservative Cold War, um, warrior speaking to students in the heart of the Soviet Union about his hopes for lasting peace amid the reforms going on uh, and the thawing of the Cold War, right? Uh, he said, democracy is less a system of government than it is a system to keep government limited, unintrusive. He continued, a system of constraints on power to keep politics and government secondary to the important things in life, the true sources of value found only in family and faith. Again, um, self-governing and not over-governing is, is a theme in Washington's farewell address as well, right? Um, so th that's just some context over what this thing has done, what it's about. Um, man, it, it's such an incredible piece of writing. Now, why am I bringing this up today? Why did I interrupt this season to do another solo episode. I know you guys love these solo episodes uh, where you have to be bored to tears by my voice for an hour. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, <laughs> today, uh, the attack in the Capitol building, I'm going to call it an attack because uh, that's what it was. Who was behind it? You know, is it part of the, the, the protests that were going on outside, I, I don't know, man. I, I have no idea. I, I, I can't tell you. Looks like it was part of the, the protest going on outside. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not speaking here to anybody specifically. I'm talking as a leader and I'm talking about leadership. There is no political lean in this rhetoric right now. No political lean whatsoever. I'm talking as a US citizen that um, is enamored by leadership, considers himself a leader, and frankly wants to see the leadership in this country that the country deserves. And today was ridiculous. Um, it, 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 it caused me tremendous sadness, um, embarrassment for my country, right? Um, and this is my country. This is our country. I'm, I'm the son of two immigrants. Um, the Andreopolis family came here in, in, in a couple of different batches over the years. You know, my, my, my father and my grandmother and my aunt came here together, um, on a ship to, you know, forever to get I think it was like two months to get here from Greece when they came here and my grandfather was here before that my two uncles were here before that my my one uncle um fought in the Vietnam War my my he was a a 
Navy veteran of of thirty something years and and still contracts with the Navy. Um, my, my my grandfather came here, lived the American dream, right? Greek immigrant came here. By the time my my dad got here, uh, my <coughs> my grandfather owned like forty restaurants in New York. Very successful at the time, um, and it couldn't have happened without the 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 notion that was built back in the seventeen hundreds for immigrants to come here to build a life in America. America was always supposed to be the melting pot of the world. And and I'm proud of this country for that. It's, uh, you know, it's afforded me the opportunity to not only do the things I do professionally, but to have a beautiful family and to be able to stand here in front of you guys, in front of this goddamn microphone, and tell you how I feel about the country. You can't do this in other countries. You can't. This isn't a thing. If if somebody got in front of a microphone and spoke out on their beliefs on how the country is being run in another country, they're liable to get hanged or shot or imprisoned for the rest of their lives just for saying something. So since I have this this microphone and these thoughts, I want to share them with you, but I want to give context behind it. I'm sad today, you know? I'm sad today, and I, I, I can't change how I feel. Um, I also can't not say how I feel, you know? I think I owe it to anybody that's listening. And, uh, you know, this this research into Washington's farewell address, along with, you know, just capping off a crazy, not only a few months, but a few years today with, with the events that happened in, in D.C. today, um, you know, led me to just say, hey, I, I think it's time to, to do this project today that I've been that I've been thinking about. Um, so going back to. So what's going on right now? Um, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to use the words, uh, hey, this is not, um, I don't care what party you support. I don't care. That's not one of those, right? Um, I'm just telling you right now, this is apolitical. Um, I, I don't not care. I feel a certain way um, in terms of uh, political beliefs. And I expect you to as well. Any anybody that's listening out there, and however you feel, I, you know, it's how you feel. Um, but I'm not speaking here to any specific leaders because I know they're not listening. President-elect Joe Biden's not going to listen to this. President Donald Trump's not going to listen to this. But you guys are listening, aren't you? And if you guys are listening. And you speak out, then things can change. You know, it's not always the, it's not always the quickest thing, but things can change. And I feel that right now is one of the most pivotal times in American history. I truly, honestly believe that. 
And I think it's time for everybody to take a page out of this farewell address and go back to basics, as they say, and understand what we were built for, how we were built, how the machine works. And man, you can reinvent the machine totally. I mean, that's what that's what this thing is for. It was never meant to be a set of rules that lives on forever. That's why there's amendments, right? We have a constitution, but we have amendments because it doesn't always work. And sometimes we have to change things, and that's okay. But we got to do something. <laughs> we got to do something. Um, I think what I'm trying to say here is that I believe in the process of this country. And this isn't a knock against anybody. I'm a process guy. If something is built a certain way and the process works, then we got to stick to the process. Trust the process. Um, four years ago, a lot of people were upset that the process was turned on its ear, but damn it, it was the process, right? And we had four years to understand why the process took the United States in that direction. And after that four years, guess what? That process kicks in again, as it always does. That's why it was set that way. And the people spoke. Not going to get into election fraud and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm a process guy. So I, I, however you feel about what went on, I trust the process. And so the people have once again spoken. And if all continues as the people dictated then in four years, we're going to once again get a chance to tell the nation how we feel and decide if we want to continue in that process or shake it up again. That's how this thing works. That's how this thing works. And so... This episode is called Teach Him How to Say Goodbye, right? That That's from one, one last time from the Hamilton song. The whole thing was about walking away to continue the process in order to allow this nation to operate as it's supposed to. And my feelings right now are that it is time to continue. Time to say goodbye and time to move on. And I think, and I'm not speaking to any leaders out there. I'm speaking to everybody out there who is feeling a certain type of way right now. Um, it ain't helping anybody, man. I get it. 
but it, it ain't helping anybody. We cannot move on. We cannot grow. We will have setbacks like this. I don't know the final numbers of today. What what the hell went on? I, I kind of honestly was so disgusted that after I saw that a few friends in the area were safe, I kind of turned the volume off because, um, you know, I just needed to process. And so <sighs> I know somebody died today. You know, Um I know people broke into offices and and vandalized and and took photos. Um, I saw a photo of um, elected officials on the floor ducking under their seats as security drew weapons. <clears throat> that's not that's not how this works, man. That's not how this works. I get anger. Um, I really, I truly do. But. That's not how this works. There are other avenues. Um, you know, that being said, from a leadership perspective now, I feel it's pretty irresponsible to provide false hope in something that just is not going to get changed. And, and you know, it's not going to get changed. Um, it's irresponsible, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's irresponsible. And I personally have had enough, you know, and I know that doesn't matter to anybody, but it matters to me. And that's why I'm, I'm speaking out loud right now. I've had enough and, um, I want to move on. I'm not, that person saying like, oh, we need to all unify again and we need to be buddy-buddy and happy and hold hands again and everything needs to go back to how it used to be. I'm not saying that. That's not real. That's not going to happen anytime soon. There is a lot of work to be done before anything like that happens. Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic right now. We have a lot of work to do before that happens. But, you know, I think with... The process, if we can jump back into it, I think now that so many people are activated, whatever you think about these elections, right, the results of the elections, all I know is that the number of people that voted was insane this year, and it excited me so much to see those numbers because those people are now activated. They are actively involved. Man, I remember elections where like you could talk to friends that had no idea what the deal was out there. Hey, how do you feel about social security? And when I, what? Social security? What are we talking about here? You know, back was when I was in my 20s. Now, you can't find a person that doesn't have an opinion on what's going on out there, on politics, on the country, on the future of our nation. And that's cool. I love that. I think that's amazing. You know? Now, it's how we carry that forward. The responsibility we take going forward. How we use that newfound engagement in people. How we use 
this passion that people have developed going forward to progress. Because if we just continue the same shit, we're going to be back to square one again. You know? We have to use this engagement and this passion right now, this activism, this caring for for what's going on out there in order to progress. Get involved. Be part of the fucking process. Be part of this nation. Don't just be a silent majority or or whatever, or a silent voice, or or a voice that, that gives a shit this year and then gets lost again. Don't do that. Care. But care as part of the process. And if you don't think the process is right, then take the right avenues to go about changing that process. You know? You know? As my my friend Jerry Maguire would say, you know. Now, that's kind of what I wanted to get out here, but man, did I shit the bed in terms of saying it eloquently, right? I I, I hope this made sense to people. We're forty five minutes into this right now, and it's about to get a lot longer. This episode is sponsored by the new cohort of the Leadership Experience unconventional leadership brought to you by yours truly the launch dad himself george andriopoulos our new cohort is starting soon and not only do we still have the same four courses that's right the public thought leadership track the career leader track the entrepreneurship track and of course the podcast experience we have our first graduate level up level inimitable the newest one on one leadership class. This is for not only if you have taken the leadership experience core class before and are ready to graduate to the newest level, but for those that have experienced leadership and want to take it to a new level, Inimitable is for you. I'm not even going to talk about it in this commercial. You're going to have to contact me. Check out the leadershipexp.com for details and to sign up for information. Inimitable is coming at you. DM me for more info. Later, guys. My goal, this project, this project that I keep talking about was originally that I was going to get on a stage, record myself reading Washington's farewell address and just put it out there. Because sometimes when something's on paper and people aren't really interested, they're, you know, they're not going to um, jump into it, right, and, and, and read it. Um, but I wanted to give them another avenue because this was so meaningful to me, this farewell address, um, that I wanted to put it out there. And so I'm going to right now read the Washington farewell address live on this podcast. So we're 45 minutes in now. Um, I think you're going to hear some shit that is going to blow your mind in terms of thinking back to when this was written in the late 1700s. I think parts of this are going to inspire you. 
parts of it are going to bore you to death. And by the way, this is kind of like, you know, older English um, type of writing here. So it's not the most thrilling thing at times, but at times it is. And so again, 45 minutes into this, if you want, you could tune out right now because I'm going to read this. We're going to have a little aha moment at the end and then we're good to go. So you can totally shut this off if you want now. But if you want to experience something new or something old that's new again and get a little knowledge right now on how this country was founded and how it's supposed to work, stick around. This is pretty cool. And I, I want to preface this by saying, and th this is something I found so cool. I didn't actually know this. Um, this address find this um, was written with the assistance of Alexander Hamilton and James Madison um, his principal concern Washington's principal concern uh, was for the safety of the eight-year-old constitution he believed that the stability of the republic was threatened by the forces of geographical sectionalism political factionalism and interference by foreign powers in the nation's domestic affairs. Wow. Those three sound super familiar, don't they? Dun, dun, dun. He urged Americans to subordinate sectional jealousies to common national interests, writing at a time before political parties had become accepted as vital extra-constitutional opinion-focusing agencies, Washington feared that they carried the seeds of the nation's destruction through petty factionalism. Now, although there is a need for political parties, in a way, how true is that, right? Um, man, you know, uh, and and to be honest, like for, for those that aren't super versed in, in politics, not that I am, it's just, this is just my understanding, is that you know, if you feel a certain type of way and you have a certain set of beliefs, then a party is a way to be represented by a larger group that has um, voting power and the power to actually help your thoughts and ideals carry through into law and into the government. Um, and so that that's really the, the original intent of political parties, of course, you know where we are now is just we'd love to wipe the slate clean and just start over but here we are um so washington did not publicly deliver the farewell address it was printed in the philadelphia daily american advertiser and then in papers around the country um now what's cool about this this is very cool um in 1862 with the constitution endangered by civil war a thousand citizens of philadelphia petitioned Congress to commemorate the forthcoming 130th anniversary of George Washington's birth by providing that the farewell address of Washington be read aloud on the morning of that day in one or the other of the houses of Congress. Uh, both houses agreed and assembled in the House of Representatives chamber on February 22nd, 1862, where Secretary of the Senate John W. Forney rendered the farewell address very effectively as one observer recalled. The practice of reading the farewell address did not immediately become a tradition, but it is now a tradition and is read every year uh, since 1893. The Senate has observed Washington's birthday by selecting one of its members to read the entire farewell address. So I think that is 
really, really cool. Uh, I'm going to take a sip of water right now and start this thing. If you're tuning out now, go right ahead. But I'm telling you, stick around for this. This is some cool shit, man. All right, but if you're tuning out later, guys, see you next week. Here we go. Washington's farewell address. Friends and fellow citizens, the period for a new election of a citizen to administer the executive government of the United States being not far distant and the time actually arrived when your thoughts must be employed in designating the person who is to be clothed with that important trust. It appears to me proper, especially as it may conduce to a more distinct expression of the public voice that I should now apprise you of the resolution I have formed to decline being considered among the number of those out of whom a choice is to be made. I beg you at the same time to do me the justice to be assured that this resolution has not been taken without a strict regard to all the considerations appertaining to the relation which binds a dutiful citizen to this country. And that in withdrawing the tender of service, which silence in my situation might imply, I am influenced by no diminution of zeal for your future interest, no deficiency of grateful respect for your past kindness, but am supported by a full conviction that the step is compatible with both. The acceptance of and continuation hitherto in the office to which your suffrages have twice called me have been a uniform sacrifice of inclination to the union of duty and to a deference for what appeared to be your desire. I constantly hoped that it would have been much earlier in my power, consistently with the motives which I was not at liberty to disregard, to return to that retirement from which I had been reluctantly drawn. The strength of my inclination to do this, previous to that last election, had even led to the preparation of an address to declare it to you, but mature reflection on the, on the then perplexed and critical posture of our affairs with foreign nations and the unanimous advice of persons entitled to my confidence impelled me to abandon the idea. I rejoice that the state of your concerns, external as well as internal, no longer renders the pursuit of inclination incompatible with the sentiment of duty or propriety and am persuaded whatever partiality may be retained for my services, that in the present circumstances of our country, you will not disapprove my determination to retire. The, impress the impressions with which I first undertook the arduous trust were explained on the proper occasion. In the discharge of this trust, I will only say that I have, with good intentions, contributed towards the organization and administration of the government, the best exertions of which a very fallible judgment was capable. Not unconscious in the outset of the inferiority of my qualifications, experience in my own eyes, perhaps still more in the eyes of others, has strengthened the motives to diffidence of myself, and every day the increasing weight of years admonishes me more and more that the shade of retirement is a necessary, is as necessary to me as it will be welcome. Satisfied that if any circumstances have given peculiar value to my services, they were temporary. 
I have the consolation to believe that while choice and prudence invite me to quit the political scene, patriotism does not forbid it. In looking forward to the moment which is intended to terminate the career of my public life, my feelings do not permit me to suspend the deep acknowledgement of that debt of gratitude which I owe to my beloved country for the many honors it has conferred upon me. Still more for the steadfast confidence with which it has supported me and for the opportunities I have thence enjoyed of manifesting my invaluable attachment by services faithful and persevering, though in usefulness unequal to my zeal. If benefits have resulted to our country from these services, let it always be remembered to your praise. And as an instructive example in our annuals that under circumstances in which the passions agitated in every direction were liable to mislead amidst appearances sometimes dubious, vicissitudes of fortune often discouraging in situations in which not unfrequently want of success has countenanced the spirit of criticism. The constancy of your support was the essential prop of the efforts and a guarantee of the plans by which they were affected. Profoundly penetrated with this idea, I shall carry it with me to my grave as a strong incitement to unceasing vows that heaven may continue to you the choicest tokens of its beneficence, that your union and brotherly affection may be perpetual, that the free constitution, which is the work of your hands, may be sacredly maintained, that its administration in every department may be stamped with wisdom and virtue, that in fine, the happiness of the people of these states under the auspices of liberty may be made complete by so careful a perseveration and so prudent a use of this blessing as will acquire to them the glory of recommending it to the applause, the affection and adoption of every nation, which is yet a stranger to it here. Perhaps I ought to stop, but a solicitude for your welfare, which cannot end, but with my life and the apprehension of danger natural to that solicitude, urge me on an occasion like the present to offer to your solemn contemplation and to recommend to your frequent review some sentiments which are the result of much reflection, of no inconsiderable observation, and which appear to me all important to the permanency of your felicity as a people. These will be offered to you with the more freedom as you can only see in them the disinterested warnings of a parting friend who can possibly have no personal motive to bias his counsel, nor can I forget as an encouragement to it, your indulgent reception of my sentiments on a former and not dissimilar occasion. Interwoven as is the love of liberty with every ligament of your hearts, no recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify or confirm the attachment. The unity of government which constitutes you One people is also now dear to you. It is justly so, for it is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. But as it is easy to foresee that, from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken. Many 
artifices employed to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth. At this is the point in your political fortress against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively, though often covertly and insidiously, directed. It is of infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness that you should cherish a cordial, habitual, and immovable attachment to it, accustoming yourselves to think and speak of it as of the palladium of your political safety and prosperity, watching for its preservation with jealous anxiety, whatever may suggest even a suspicion that it can in any event be abandoned and indignantly frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest or to enfeeble the sacred ties which now link together the various parts. For this you have every inducement of sympathy and interest. Citizens by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American, which belongs to you, in your national capacity must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. But these considerations, however powerfully they address themselves to your sensibility, are greatly outweighed by those which apply more immediately to your interest. Here every portion of our country finds the most commanding motives for carefully guarding and preserving the union of the whole. The North, in an unrestrained intercourse with the South, protected by the equal laws of a common government, finds in the productions of the latter great additional resources of maritime and commercial enterprise and precious material of manufacturing industry. The South, in the same intercourse, benefiting by the agency of the North, sees its agriculture grow and its commerce expand, turning partly into its own channels the seamen of the North. It finds its particular navigation invigorated, and while it contributes in different ways to nourish and increase the general mass of the national navigation, it looks forward to the protection of a maritime strength to which itself is unequally adapted. The East, in a like intercourse with the West, already finds, and in the progressive improvement of interior communications by land and water, will more and more find a valuable vent for the commodities which it brings from abroad or manufactures at home. The West derives from the East supplies requisite to its growth and comfort, and what is perhaps of still greater consequence, it must of necessity owe the secure enjoyment of indispensable outlets for its own productions to the weight, influence, and the future maritime strength of the Atlantic side of the Union, directed by an indissoluble community of interest as one nation. Any other tenure by which the West can hold this essential advantage, whether derived from its own separate strength or from an, from an apostate and unnatural connection with any foreign power, must be intrinsically precarious. 
While then every part of our country thus feels an immediate and particular interest in union, all the parts combined cannot fail to find in the united mass of means and efforts greater strength, greater resource, proportionably greater security from external danger, a less frequent interruption of their peace by foreign nations, and what is of inestimable value, they must derive from union and exemption from those broils and wars between themselves, which so frequently afflict neighboring countries not tied together by the same government, which their own rivalships alone would be sufficient to produce, but which opposite foreign alliances, attachments, and intrigues would stimulate and embitter. Hence, likewise, they will avoid the necessity of those overgrown military establishments under any form of government are inauspicious to liberty and which are to be regarded as particularly hostile to Republican liberty. In this sense, it is that your union ought to be considered as a main prop of your liberty and that the love of the one ought to endear you to the preservation of the other. These considerations speak a persuasive language to every reflecting and virtuous mind and exhibit the continuance of the union as a primary object of patriotic desire. Is there a doubt whether a common government can embrace so large a sphere? Let experience solve it. To listen to mere speculation in such a case were criminal. We are authorized to hope that a proper organization of the whole with the auxiliary agency of governments for the respective subdivisions will afford a happy issue to the experiment. It is well worth a fair and full experiment with such full power and obvious motives to union affecting all parts of our country while experience shall not have demonstrated its impracticability. There will always be reason to distrust the patriotism of those who in any quarter may endeavor to weaken its bands. In contemplating the causes which may disturb our union, it occurs as matter of serious concern that any ground should have been furnished for characterizing parties by geographical discriminations. Northern and Southern, Atlantic and Western, whence designing men may endeavor to excite a belief that there is a real difference of local interest and views. One of the expedients of party to acquire influence within particular districts is to misrepresent the opinions and aims of other districts. You cannot shield yourselves too much against the jealousies and heart burnings which spring from these misrepresentations. They tend to render alien to each other those who ought to be bound together by fraternal affection. The inhabitants of our Western country have lately had a useful lesson on this head. They have seen in the negotiation by the executive and in the unanimous ratification by the Senate of the treaty with Spain and in the universal satisfaction at the event throughout the United States, a decisive proof how unfounded were the suspicions propagated among them of a policy in the general government and in the Atlantic states unfriendly to their interests regarding to the Mississippi. They have been witnesses to the formation of two treaties that with Great Britain and that with Spain, which secure to them everything they could desire in respect to our foreign relations towards confirming their prosperity. Will it not be their wisdom to rely for the preservation of these advantages on the union by which they were procured? 
Will they not henceforth be deaf to those advisors, if such there are, who would sever them from their brethren and connect them with aliens? To the efficacy and permanency of your union, a government for the whole is indispensable. No alliances, however strict between the parts, can be an adequate substitute. They must inevitably experience the infractions and interruptions which all alliances in all times have experienced. Sensible of this momentous truth, you have improved upon your first essay by the adoption of a constitution of government better calculated than your former for an intimate union and for the efficacious management of your common concerns. This government, the offspring of your own choice, uninfluenced and unawed, adopted upon full investigation and mature deliberation, completely free in its principles, in the distribution of its powers, uniting security with energy, and containing within itself a provision for its own amendment, has a just claim to your confidence and your support. Respect for its authority, compliance with laws, acquiescence in its measures, are duties enjoined by the fundamental maxims of true liberty. The basis of our political system is the right of the people to make and to alter their constitutions of government. But the constitution, which at any time exists until changed by an explicit and authentic act of the whole people, is sacredly obligatory upon all. The very idea of the power and the right of the people to establish government presupposes the duty of every individual to obey the established government. All obstructions to the execution of the laws, all combinations and associations under whatever plausible character with the real design to direct, control, counteract, or awe the regular deliberation and action of the constituted authorities are destructive of this fundamental principle and of fatal tendency. They serve to organize faction, to give it an artificial, extraordinary force, to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation, the will of a party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community, and according to the alternate triumphs of different parties, to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction, rather than the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interests. However, combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Towards the preservation of your government and the permanency of your present happy state, it is requisite not only that you steadily discountenance irregular oppositions to its acknowledged authority, but also that you resist with care the spirit of innovation upon its principles, however specious the pretexts. 
One method of assault may be to effect in the forms of the Constitution alterations which will impair the energy of the system and thus undermine what cannot be directly overthrown. In all the changes to which you may be invited, remember that time and habit are at least as necessary to fix the true character of governments as of other human institutions, that experience is the surest standard by which to test the real tendency of the existing constitution of a country, that facility in changes upon the credit of mere hypotheses and opinion exposes to perpetual change from the endless variety of hypotheses and opinion. And remember especially that for the efficient management of your common interest in a country so extensive as ours, a government of as much vigor as is consistent with the perfect security of liberty is indispensable. Liberty itself will find in such a government with powers properly distributed and adjusted its surest guardian. It is indeed little else than a name where the government is too feeble to withstand the enterprises of faction, to confine each member of the society within the limits prescribed by the laws, and to maintain all in the secure, tranquil enjoyment of the rights of person and property. I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state with particular reference to founding of them to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit unfortunately is inseparable from our nature having its roots in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed. But in those of the popular form, it is seen in its greatest rankness and is truly the worst enemy. The alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetuated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. And sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able and more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty." Without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight, the common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it the interest and the duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which find a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. 
There is an opinion that parties in free countries countries are useful checks upon the administration of the government and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty. This, within certain limits, is probably true, and in governments of a monarchical caste patriotism may look with indulgence, if not with favor, upon the spirit of party. But in those of the popular character, in governments purely elective, it is a spirit not to be encouraged. From their natural tendency, it is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose. And there being a constant danger of excess, the effort ought to be by force of public opinion to mitigate and assuage it. A fire not to be quenched, it demands a uniform vigilance to prevent it bursting into a flame, lest instead of warming it should consume. It is important likewise that the habits of thinking in a free country should inspire caution in those entrusted with its administration to confine themselves within their respective constitutional spheres, avoiding in the exercise of the powers of one department to encroach upon another. The spirit of encroachment tends to consolidate the powers of all the departments in one and thus to create whatever the form of government a real despotism. A just estimate of that love of power and proneness to abuse it, which predominates in the human heart, is sufficient to satisfy us of the truth of this position. The necessity of reciprocal checks in the exercise of political power by dividing and distributing it into different depositories and constituting each the guardian of the public wheel against invasions by the others has been evinced by experiments ancient and modern, some of them in our country and under our own eyes. To preserve them must be as necessary as to institute them. If in the opinion of the people, the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers be in in any particular wrong, let it be corrected by an amendment in in the way which the Constitution designates. But let there be no change by usurpation, for though this in one instance may be the instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. The precedent must always greatly overbalance in permanent evil any partial or transient benefit which the use can at any time yield. Of all the dispositions and habits would lead which lead to political prosperity, religion, and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation des- <clears throat> if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Almost there, guys. 
It is substantially true that virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. The rule indeed extends with more or less force to every species of free government. Who that is a sincere friend to it can look with indifference upon attempts to shake the foundation of the fabric. Promote then as an object of primary importance institutions for the general diffusion of knowledge. In proportion as the structure of a government gives force to public opinion, it is essential that public opinion should be enlightened. As a very important source of strength and security, cherish public credit. One method of preserving it is to use it as sparingly as possible, avoiding occasions of expense by cultivating peace, but remembering also that timely disbursements to prepare for danger frequently prevent much greater disbursements to repel it. Avoiding likewise the accumulation of debt, not only by shunning occasions of expense, but by vigorous exertions in time of peace to discharge the debts, which unavoidable wars may have occasioned, not ungenerously throwing upon posterity the burden which we ourselves ought to bear. The execution of these maxims belong to your representatives, but it is necessary that public opinion should cooperate. To facilitate to them the performance of their duty, it is essential that you should practice, that you should practically bear in mind that towards the payment of debts, there must be revenue. That to have revenue, there must be taxes, that no taxes can be devised, which are not more or less inconvenient and unpleasant. That the intrinsic embarrassment inseparable from the selection of the proper objects, which is always a choice of difficulties, ought to be a decisive motive for a candid construction of the conduct of the government in making it. And for a spirit of acquiescence in the measures of obtaining revenue, which the public exigencies may at one time dictate. Observe good faith and justice towards all nations. Cultivate peace and harmony with all. Religion and morality enjoin this conduct, and can it be that good policy does not equally enjoin it? It will be worthy of free enlightened and at no distant point a great nation to give to mankind the magnanimous and too novel example of a people always guided by an exalted justice and benevolence. Who can doubt that in the course of time and things, the fruits of such a plan would richly repay any temporary advantages, which might be lost by steady adherence to it. Can it be the providence that providence has not connected the permanently the permanent felicity of a nation with its virtue. The experiment at least is recommended by every sentiment, which ennobles human nature. Alas, is it rendered impossible by its vices in the execution of such a plan? Nothing is more essential than that permanent inveterate antipathies against particular nations and passionate attachments for others should be excluded and that in place of them just and amicable just and amicable feelings towards all should be cultivated the nation which indulges towards another an habitual hatred or an habitual fondness is in some degree a slave it is a slave to its animosity or to its affection either of which is sufficient to lead it astray from its duty and interest. Antipathy in one nation against another disposes each more readily to offer insult and injury, to lay hold of slight causes of umbrage, and to be haughty and intractable when accidental or trifling occasions of dispute occur. 
Hence, frequent collisions, obstinate, envenomed, and bloody contest. The nation, prompted by ill will and resentment, sometimes impels to war the government, contrary to the best calculations of policy. The government sometimes participates in the national propensity and adopts through passion what reason would reject. At other times, it makes the animosity of the nation subservient to projects of hostility, instigated by pride, ambition, and other sinister and pernicious motives. The peace often, sometimes perhaps the liberty of nations, has been the victim. So likewise, a passionate attachment of one nation for another produces a variety of evils. Sympathy for the favorite nation facilitating the illusion of an imaginary common interest in cases where no real common interest exists and infusing into one the enmities of the other betrays the former into a participation in the quarrels and wars of the latter without adequate inducement or justification. It leads also to concessions to the favorite nations of privileges denied to others, which is apt doubly to injure the nation making the concessions by unnecessarily parting with what ought to have been retained and by exciting jealousy, ill will, and a disposition to retaliate in the parties from whom privileges are withheld. And it gives to ambitious, corrupted, or deluded citizens who devote themselves to the favorite nation facility to betray or sacrifice the interests of their own country with odium, sometimes even with popularity, gilding with the appearances of a virtuous sense of obligation, a commendable deference for public opinion, or a laudable zeal for public good, the base of foolish compliances of ambition, corruption, or infatuation. As having used to foreign influence is innumerable in innumerable ways, such attachments are particularly alarming to the truly enlightened and independent patriot. How many opportunities do they afford to tamper with domestic factions, to practice the arts of seduction, to mislead public opinions, to influence or awe the public councils? Such an attachment of a small or weak towards a great and powerful nation dooms the former to be the satellite of the latter. Against the insidious wiles of foreign influence, I conjure you to believe me, fellow citizens, the jealousy of a free people ought to be constantly awake since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of Republican government. But that jealousy, but that jealousy to be useful must be impartial. Else it becomes the instrument of the very influence to be avoided instead of a defense against it. Excessive partiality for one foreign nation and excessive dislike of another cause those whom they actuate to see danger only on one side and serve to veil and even second the arts of influence on the other. Real patriots who may resist the intrigues of the favorite are liable to become suspected and odious while its tools and dupes usurp the applause and confidence of the people to surrender their interest. The great rule of conduct for us in regard to foreign nations is in extending our commercial relations to have with them as little political connection as possible. So far as we have already formed engagements, let them be fulfilled with perfect good faith. 
Here, let us stop. Europe has a set of primary interests which to us have none or a very remote relation. Hence, she must be engaged in frequent controversies that causes the causes of which are essentially foreign to our concerns. Hence, therefore, it must be unwise in us to implicate ourselves by artificial ties in the ordinary vicissitudes of her politics or the ordinary combinations and collisions of her friendship or enemies. Our detached and distant situation invites and enables us to pursue a different course. If we remain one people under an efficient government, the period is not far off when we may defy material injury from external annoyance, when we may take such an attitude as will cause the neutrality. We may at any time resolve upon to be scrupulously respected. When belligerent nations under the impossibility of making acquisitions upon us will not lightly hazard the giving us provocation when we may choose peace or war as our interest guided by justice shall counsel. Why forego the advantages of so peculiar a situation? Why quit our own to stand upon foreign ground? Why, by interweaving our destiny with that of any part of Europe, entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of European ambition, rivalship, interest, humor, or caprice? It is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world. So far, I mean, as we are now at liberty to do it. For let me not be understood as capable of patronizing infidelity to existing engagements. I hold the maxim no less applicable to public than to private affairs, that honesty is always the best policy. I repeat it, therefore, let those engagements be observed in their genuine sense. But in my opinion, it is unnecessary and would be unwise to extend them. Taking care always to keep ourselves by suitable establishments on a respectably defensive posture, we may safely trust to temporary alliances for extraordinary emergencies. Tail end, couple of pages. Harmony. Liberal intercourse with all nations are recommended by policy, humanity, and interest. By even our commercial policy should hold an equal and impartial hand, neither seeking nor granting exclusive favors or preferences, consulting the natural course of things, diffusing and diversifying by gentle means the streams of commerce, but forcing nothing, establishing with powers so disposed in order to give to trade a stable course to define the rights of our merchants and to enable the government to support them. Conventional rules of intercourse, the best that present circumstances and mutual opinion will permit, but temporarily and liable to be from time to time abandoned or varied, as experience and circumstances shall dictate, constantly keeping in view that it is folly in one nation to look for disinterested favors from another, that it must pay with a portion of its independence for whatever it may accept under that character, that by such acceptance it may place itself in the condition of having given equivalents for nominal favors and yet of being reproached with ingratitude for not giving more. There can be no greater error than to expect or calculate upon the real favors from nation to nation. It is an illusion which experience must cure, which a just pride ought to discard. 
In offering to you, my countrymen, these counsels of an old and affectionate friend, I dare not hope they will make the strong and lasting impression I could wish, that they will control the usual current of the passions or prevent our nation from running the course which has hitherto marked the destiny of nations. But if I may even flatter myself that they may be productive of some partial benefit, some occasional good, that they may now and then recur to moderate the fury of party spirit, to warn against the mischiefs of foreign intrigue, to guard against the impostures of pretended patriotism. This hope will be a full recompense for the solitude for your welfare by which they have been dictated. How far in the discharge of my official duties I have been guided by the principles which have been delineated, the public records and other evidences of my conduct must witness to you and to the world. To myself, the assurance of my own conscience is that I have at least believed myself to be guided by them. In relation to the still subsisting war in Europe, my proclamation of the 22nd of April, 1793, is the index to my plan, sanctioned by your approving voice and by that of your representatives in both houses of Congress. The spirit of that measure has continually governed me, uninfluenced by any attempts to deter or divert me from it. After deliberate examination with the aid of the best lights I could obtain, I was well satisfied that our country, under all the circumstances of the case, had a right to take and was bound in duty and interest to take a neutral position. Having taken it, I determined as far as should depend upon me to maintain it with moderation, perseverance, and firmness. The considerations which respect the right to hold this conduct, it is not necessary on this occasion to detail. I will only observe that according to my understanding of the matter, that right, so far from being denied by any of the belligerent powers, has been virtually admitted by all. The duty of holding a neutral conduct may be inferred without anything more from the obligation which justice and humanity impose on every nation in cases in which it is free to act, to maintain, inviolate, inviolate the relations of peace and amity towards other nations. The inducements of interest for observing that conduct will be best referred to your own reflections and experience. With me, a predominant motive has been to endeavor to gain time to our country to settle and mature its yet recent institutions and to progress without interruption to that degree of strength and consistency which is necessary to give it, humanly speaking, the command of its own fortunes. This is the tingly part. This is the part that's... Whew, <clears throat> my Hamilton fans... Though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. Whatever they may be, I fervently beseech the Almighty to avert or mitigate the evils to which they may tend. 
I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will never cease to view them with indulgence and that after 45 years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright zeal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to oblivion as myself must soon to be the mansions of rest. Relying on its kindness in this as in other things and actuated by that fervent love towards it, which is so natural to a man who views it, the native soil of himself and his progenitors for several generations. I anticipate with pleasing expectation that retreat in which I promise myself to realize without alloy the sweet enjoyment of partaking in the midst of my fellow citizens the benign influence of good laws under a free government the ever favorite object of my heart and the happy reward as i trust of our mutual cares labors and dangers i'm beat <clears throat> that was heavy but it was so worth it if you stuck around for that man um you know i i applaud you uh um i wanted to do that uh you know it was more of like i owed it to george washington to say that out loud i want our founding father to know that you know 224 years later we are still listening to your special words and we appreciate the passion that you had for our nation and that we'll take care of it. This is a generational thing, right? Change doesn't come in an instant. We're the change. And so I felt in just reading that, that I owed it to this man as a person that loves this country, as a leader, as a person that appreciates leadership, to read this out loud, to speak his name and read this thing out loud. And to anybody out there that hasn't heard it and wanted the George Andriopoulos audiobook version, which it's super late right now. I'm not even going to say what time it is because it's like embarrassing how late I'm recording this. Um, you know, I know it was the the late night voice of George, and it may not have been the most exciting thing. And I'm sure I stumbled over a few of those words, but uh, damn it, we got through it. And and I hope you, uh, I'm going to put a link to the, the free version of this, the free download of the PDF of this. That's what I was reading off of because it was nice and big. It's actually only 26 pages. I thought it was 30 something. Um, the PDF was 26 pages, not bad. Um, took me just under an hour to read it, so whatever you know is that a boring hour of podcasting maybe i don't think so um if one person listened to that if i got through to one person and they understand better um what this nation was built on because of that then it was worth it otherwise i hope you guys enjoyed the first 45 minutes of this the last hour has been a little different but that's what we do on the launch cast. We shake it up. Um, what are my hopes for this? <sighs> just want to get back to the process. I want to, uh, I want to trust 
the process. I want others to believe in the process, and I, I, I think it's it's just time to move on um, and see where our nation goes from here. That's it. Guys, I appreciate you being with me today on this long one. I felt it. I And you know when I feel it, I cancel guests and I just talk to you one-on-one on, one on one or, or one-on-thousands, whatever. By the way, by the way, I just want to throw it out there as I'm completely losing my voice. Uh, we are now in over... 45 countries. I say over 45 because we have 45 listed. Sorry, no, 44 listed in my numbers. And then we have um, a, a small group of, of listeners that's from other uh, outside of those countries. So it's it's definitely over 45 uh, the the exact number we would say is is forty five because we don't know how many countries is in that small pool. But forty five countries, damn it! Maybe we taught another country how to appreciate how we do things here, and hopefully we get back to that. Um, so to everybody listening outside of the United States, thank you for 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 listening to the Launchcast. I hope this sheds some light on our beautiful nation. To everybody listening to me here in the USA. You know how we do here. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast, guys. To the leaders out there listening, do better. It's time. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. See you later. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.